Requesting connection. Established. Encrypted. We're live. The show you've been asking for. Advice, technology, and community. Linux first, all others second. This is Ask Noah. Live from Multispeed Technology is the show that puts you, the listener, in the driver's seat because you are the content. The phone lines are open to be a part of the program. It's a free call. 1-855-450-NOAA. That's 1-855-450-6624. Give me a call. We'll have a conversation about your tech questions or business tech questions. Linux Advocate, above all else, small business owner, now host of the only radio show centered around you, the listener. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. My name is Noah July. So good evening to you all. Delighted to be here. Another episode of the Ask Noah Show kicking off this hour. And uh, tonight is, we've got an exciting night. I was I spent the week trying to figure out what exactly we were going to talk about, uh, you know, as a, as a solid topic. And obviously we are going to get to the Intel uh, vulnerabilities and an update with that. But really, I think what we really came to after a couple of days is that we just have a lot of housekeeping stuff, things to catch up on, things that we haven't given like an entire episode to. And uh, and today deserves that. So that's what we're going to do. And of course, your phone calls come first. Uh, 1-855-450-6624. The email live at asknoahshow.com. This hour, we're going to start out with James in Idaho. Hey, James, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, Noah. Hey, James, how can I help? Oh, I have a newer motherboard, which is onboard audio, and it, when it works, it's great. When it doesn't work, you imagine the worst-case scenario. Um, I need some recommendations for audio on the hookup to, to get basic audio out, which because of all over the net, everything, the, and A through Z is recommended, um, and uh, you know audio. Okay, can I get the, what's the make and model of the motherboard? Let's start with that. Well, it's an Asus make, and let me dig up the damn box. It's one of their newer gaming systems. The, they call it the, uh, oh, the big printer, they just call it the um, Z7, Z7170 Pro. Oh, okay. With five-way optical, you know, it's, it's a newer, it was for the seventh generation. And like I said, when it works, it's a gaming board. When it works for audio-wise, it, you know, it works great. When it doesn't work, you hear nothing but hiss or, oh, my favorite, there's no left channel at all, and then back in, and then crystal clear, and then to garbage. Let me ask you something. So Have you? Is there a reason you want to use onboard audio? Any particular reason you don't want to use, like, an outboard USB deck? What I want to do is... Um, I'm coming to the conclusion to go off-board audio, but I don't want to invest, because I'm not having, like you have, real real high-end stuff. I don't want to invest too much, but I don't want to get stuck with total garbage that you can find on Amazon, you know, all over the place. We're like, uh, yeah, and you do a little bit of audio, and you might have some recommendations to where to get um, reasonable but not break the bank um, uh, audio hookups external because onboard is, well, as you figured, it's all over the place. It's either works great or terrible. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I guess. So uh, uh, let's start with this. <clears throat> one of one of the reasons I like I don't like built in audio inf- interfaces, James, for a couple of reasons. One is they tend to pick up a lot of noise. Um, and, the, and and even when they don't pick up a lot of noise, the quality just isn't really that great. Excuse me. So one of the things I always like to do is get that processing outside of the computer and bring the audio in as cleanly as possible. So one of the things that I, I think works really well for that is the audio box uh, from uh, PreSonus or the other, one of my other favorite ones is the Lexicon Alpha. And the, the thing that I particularly like about the Lexicon Alpha is it does, not only does it do, do balanced inputs, but you can also do line level balanced inputs, whereas both the PreSonus and some of the other ones, like there's a really popular one is the Focusrite. The problem with those are they all have preamplifications in them, so they all amplify the signal a little bit, and that uh, that gets and, and so the the issue is if you're starting with a line level or if you're starting with a a, a line level signal and then it continually gets amplified, eventually it gets stored at 
distorted very quickly. And so that's one of the reasons I, I like the lexicon. What kind of audio are you bringing into this interface? I'm just hooking up the um, budget speakers, so I need to keep this on a reasonable price. But like I said, on the internet, there are suggestions all over the dang place, anywhere from $10 to yeah. Uh, so let me, let me ask you this: So you're not trying to bring audio in; you're just trying to you're just trying to you're just trying to hook up speakers to your computer. That's all you're doing. I want to be able to listen to your show without hearing snap, crackle, pop, hiss, and then clear, and then yeah. the channel out, and then the audio back in, and just uh, yeah, okay, you know, total garbage. Okay, and and the and the built-in audio and the built-in and the built-in audio card that's not doing that for you, huh? Oh, it works. Like I said, it works like it's five point one surround sound and built in audio. It works great when it works, and then it just goes from uh, you haven't moved anything or done anything. It just cuts out. It goes nothing but hiss, crackle, pop, and then cleans up, and then left out, and then right channel out. And you know, I'm not describing the mess. It's just bad. Huh? Just bad. And, and what distro is this happening with? Is this this is Ubuntu? This is on Ubuntu sixteen ten ish. Okay. Huh. Interesting. And it, I've ruled it. I ruled it down to it's the main. It's the motherboard, but I can't send it back because it's too. I've had it for too long. Um, before yeah, of course. it de- decided to re- rear its ugly head of oh, the audio is horrible. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, so I guess here's what I would do, James. I, I, I give you a couple of ideas. The first thing to do is I, I, I try falling back to an LTS and see if that doesn't resolve the issue. There's oftentimes in those in, in between distros, you just have weird problems that come up, and that's just that's just a function of it being weird. Um, the, the, the second thing that you might consider trying is, um, is looking to see that specific motherboard if you Google it and see if there's other people that are reporting the same problem. I, I'll be honest with you, James, and I've spent a lot of time installing Linux on a lot of different motherboards. I've never seen an internal audio card that that crackles and pops or anything like that. Usually it's the USB ones, the outboard ones that have that have any of those kinds of issues. And there are I have a whole list of fixes for those things including a problem that bit me right here on the show that I was actually just complaining about right before we got on the air. Uh, but, but any of those things can, can be done. Uh, but yeah, that's, I guess that's my best suggestion to you, James, is, is try the LTS, see if that works. Also, the other thing you can do is if you could send an email to live at com, give me the model number of that motherboard, and I'll look into it a little further for you and, and, see, if, and see if we've come across that before. And uh, if I ever do come across a motherboard that, that snaps and crackles, I'll make sure to report back on it. Dale is calling. Hey, Dale, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hi, how's it going? Hey, Dale, how can we help? Um, I had a question about NFS redundancy. It's a service I'm looking into. Uh, it's part of the uh, Red Hat 6 uh, high availability package. Okay. Um, and basically what I want to do is I want to set up a... Uh, test environment where I can actually attempt to uh, uh, attempt to set up uh, in a lab environment uh, some kind of test scenario that I can say, okay, I know how to do this, I know how to configure this. Um, now it's time to actually go to my leadership and ask, hey, can we purchase this extra add-on? Um, now I obviously want to know what I'm talking about. Now uh, you know it's why I need the test environment. So um, is there like a digital ocean thing that I could use or something? Just so yeah. maybe through uh, Ubuntu or CentOS, Fedora. Yeah, yeah, there absolutely is. So there's Anything? there's there's a couple different ways that, that I test stuff like this. The first thing is you can do yes, you could absolutely set up like a sandbox environment on DigitalOcean or OVH. All of them support. Um, Excuse me. All of them support like uh, like a local network kind of a thing, and you can set up a little local network and and pass information in between as if they were sitting on a land. You can definitely do that. The other thing that we do, and it, it depends on how big your IT department is. It depends on, uh, you know, if you're an IT consulting company, how much resources you have. But we actually have our own, we call it, we actually do call it the sandbox. And basically, it's just a room in the building that has four eight-foot-long tables and uh, a bunch, a rack of switches and a rack of routers. And we can simulate, we can set up and simulate all sorts of different scenarios. So, and that's what we do. So if we were doing it for like a university, we'd bring it in and we'd set everything up in our sandbox. We'd And then we have cameras in there that we can do web conferences and stuff like that to demonstrate to clients. Um, so that's an option. Uh, but absolutely, you could just you could go into DigitalOcean, rent yourself two or three servers and set up that lo- the, the, the LAN system on on DigitalOcean and do all of that. In pr- with, they call it private networking, I guess. 
Okay. Um, one last question, I guess. So um, part of our sand, uh, the sand itself, um, what is actually being shared from the NFS here, uh-huh. um, it rides over a fiber channel, and it shows up as just a block device in Linux, you know, slash dev, sure. SDX, or what have you. Um, now, from what I understand, like, they would like that one block device would be connected to two separate hosts. What kind of catches me off is like, that sounds like plugging one flash drive into two machines. It doesn't make sense to y- me. Yes, but um, y- 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 yes. Yeah. Sorry. I know exactly what you're going, where you're going with this. I- 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 that would, that is true. If it was actually one device, but it's not you. The, the problem is when you start, and we actually dealt with this with the client just today, when you start getting into the 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, anything above that terabytes worth of storage, it becomes very difficult, if not impossible, to enclose all of that into one server. And then it is twice as complicated when you start running into these businesses that they can't, you can't take their file server down to upgrade it, the storage and it has to stay up and running. And then you start dealing with, well, we want redundancy because we don't ever want it to go down. So now, you know, where you started with maybe exactly every eight drives or 16 drives or 32 drives in a box, you really want, like, we're talking, now we're talking about 16 or 32 or 64 because we want, you know, twice as many to set up ZFS RAID and all that. Uh, and so once you start getting into, uh, I have, the, the reality is I have 190 some drives, is an, pulling from an example from today, that we have to set up onto these box. There's no way to enclose that in one box. So you put it on a SAN. But the SAN itself, is capable of saying to itself, okay, this computer says it wants to write to this block device. I'm going to go ahead and store it on the... On, on this available storage drive, which is in this server and that server, and, 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 you know, and then it, it kind of coordinates it, so to speak, almost like directs the data, if you will. And, and so there's a couple of things when you're setting that up that you want to be really careful with. First of all, you don't want to put your SAN on the same, on the same subnet as the rest of your, as the rest of your production network, oftentimes, because you're going to get broadcast packets and every, you don't want every printer and, and Amazon Alexa that powers up to, 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 to be monkeying around with that. So we always separate that off. SAN network is usually a 10 gig network that is specifically dedicated for that, that storage network and it's VLAN off or a lot of times it's a completely separate physical network. Um, and then you tie into, you have an interface that ties into your, you know, admin network, so to speak. Okay. That makes perfect sense to me. Cool. Thanks for the call. We appreciate having you. Again, phones one eight five five four five zero noah That's one eight five five four five zero six six two four. The email live at asknoahshow.com. So right before we went on the air, I I was I was uh, I was having a very deep discussion um with uh with some of the people that work for the show that that um that help out with the show. And uh I, I can't quite shake this. And and I you know the the, the thing is like I I, I wasn't going to talk about this on the air for a couple of reasons. One is it kind of pulls the black curtain back and spoils the magic. Um, and the other thing is it just kind of feels like there's this cloud hanging over my head. But I think if I don't talk about it, I think if I don't address it head on, it's going to uh, just going to hang over my head the whole show. Anyone that has been around me for the last few m- months has probably been frustrated with my like my nonstop mission to expand this show. And... Um, you know, officially we go off the air at 7 p.m. And that's what, 7 p.m. Central. And that's what time KEQQ Radio, our, our, our radio station, takes us off the air, goes back, goes on to whatever next program is. But the stream is, is somewhat flexible. Is there is no hard time that I, at least that I've been told anyway, that I have to, I have to kill the stream and return it to, to reruns at JP. And so last week we got off the air. And uh, the which, by the way, I I was told the mumble room is live. So if you guys uh, if you guys want to get on the air for mumble, just um just ping me in uh, IRC, and uh, it's uh, pound Jupiter Broadcasting IRC dot Ping me in there, and I'd be happy to have a conversation uh, with you guys in the mumble room. And uh, people in the uh, studio, you're gonna have to turn them on when when they come here. So when when I call on them, uh, but but so I was having this conversation, and we started to talk about uh the show and, and what improvements we can make to the show. And um, last week when I got off the air, I went back in the mumble room just to say thank you to the people that contributed to that, that contributed to the conversation. We actually had somebody answer a question, which was really great. And uh, that chat and that feedback went on for two full hours after the show. And it was so interesting to me. It was such straightforward, honest feedback that I left the uh, the JB live stream up after the show just so that every so that, just because it was you know it was an interesting conversation we actually saved that and if there is interest in listening to that as as kind of like a um 
a, a close look at the Ask Noah show or something like that, if that's something that anyone's interested in, then, you know, ping me, reach out to me, let me know. And, and you know, and Chris and I had talked about maybe releasing that as a special edition episode or something like that. Because I think it's really interesting. I got a very heavy dose of feedback about the show. And for those of you that went on AskNoahShow.com slash better, God bless you people. Because, I mean, seriously, I expected when we set up a completely anonymous source to get some of the, some feedback, to I, I expected to receive some of the most vile, disgusting comments I'd ever read. And instead, what I was pleasantly surprised to see was some of the most useful, carefully constructed criticism I've ever gotten. And in fact, I'm so appreciative of it, and it's worked out so well, we're just going to leave the site up. So com slash better. It's going to be a thing from now on. If you have a suggestion for the show, if you have an idea how to make it better, uh, you can submit it completely anonymously. We don't even ask for your name. Some of you were kind enough to, to, in your message, say, here's my name and here's my email if you want to follow up. And I will be following up with every single one of you that did that. But we certainly don't ask for it. Because um, I don't care who you are. I just want honest feedback. And sometimes it's easier to be honest when you don't have to tie your name to it. But here's what I took away from all of the conversations that I've been having over the last week. And it's been pretty much nonstop from the feedback that you guys sent in. Everyone wants more of the show in some form. And it splinters from there. Some people say they want to do more than the one hour itself. Some people say, well, maybe you should do a blog surrounding the show. I've had people say be more active on Reddit and Telegram, spend more time in the IRC. There are some people that say I should be spending more time making the mobile experience all that it can be because of the, the platform that we're using, the hosting capabilities. And that's how most people listen to the show. And so I spent all week and most of today, except for some of the things I had to do at work, looking at some of the ways that we can expand this show. And in one of life's little ironies, as I was working through this yesterday and today, the guide that I was using to set up this server to a server for one of the things I wanted to do for this show was written by a quote unquote, and here's my air fingers quotes, was written by a Linux guy. And I later found out the reason the stupid guide wasn't working was because his Linux machine wasn't a Linux machine. It's a Mac. And he was running a VM. And there were some slight differences from the way that you have to set it up on the VM. As you just tweak it a little bit. It wasn't hard. It wasn't challenging. It just if you don't know, then – and he had no way of knowing that it wouldn't work on Linux because he doesn't actually use it. Uh, he, then, then the guide was off just a little bit, and it took me two days to figure out what the problem was. And uh, we did eventually get it working, and I'm going to tell you how you can take advantage of some of this stuff towards the end of the show. But this brings me to a fundamental point that seems to keep coming back and back and back in different ways to me. And it's pay very, very, very close attention to the personal habits of the people that you take tech advice from. If they are sitting on a Mac, if they are sitting on a Windows desktop, just know that they could not figure out how to get their own work done on Linux. And so it is literally the blind leading the blind for them to show you how to get something that you want to get done on Linux. Just know that. And it's the same the other way around. I, like, ain't no one calling this show asking for advice on the latest iPhone. I can tell you that right now. I, and, I, and, I wouldn't, and I wouldn't be able to answer most questions on iPhones because I don't use one regularly. The difference between me and somebody else is that I'm not going to lie to you about it. I don't come on the show and pretend to be an iPhone user. I've carried an iPhone once in my pocket as a form of a bet to do something for an episode on the show. In fact, to that point, one of the things that I was going to do to enhance the show was I was going, I'm working on trying to make the mobile playback more featureful. And during that, there was a feature that we were looking at, some functionality that we were looking at. And uh, uh, as far as I can tell, it only works on iOS. And I don't know for sure because I don't have an iPhone to test it on. I can't do like an AB thing. Uh, but what I do know for sure is I'm not bending over backwards to provide a service that you can only get on a device that I wouldn't personally buy myself. I'm going to give you advice that's consistent with what I would do. And uh, and, and so and and so, you know, and, and so I guess the other side of that is. I have a strong belief that if I tell you to do something on this program, you should be able to do it on Linux. And I'm going to make sure that everybody that wants to can listen to this program on Linux right out of the box without having to check anything, install anything, violate any of their principles. And uh, I had people that said, can we get an OGG feed of the show? Went to the powers that be, said, is this a possibility? And it was told, nope, the platform that we run on does not support having two different – doesn't support OGG. We can't, we can't do that. And so I took my own money. I rented my own server. I set the thing up to, to generate this feed. I gave it out to the people that asked. 
and I hand encode those files and put them on there every single week. So if you're one of the few people that is that are downloading the OGG thing, that's that's I'm doing that for you because I know that's important to you and I want you to be able to listen to the show without violating your principles. Now, we don't advertise that because I don't have the skills or the time to build a metric system. And so I'd prefer that you download the show from the Ask Noah Show dashboard. But the point is, I'll bend over backwards to help those that want to use Linux. I will bend over backwards if your worldview is to support free and open source standards. And if there's something I can do, even if it's a lot of work for me, I'm willing to do that. And at the moment, I don't make any money off of doing this show. And I'm not whining about that. I'm not complaining. I, I do it because I want to do it. I do it because I want to help people. I do it because I like Linux. But if tomorrow somebody came to me and said, no, we'll pay you $100,000 a year to do a once a month, one hour radio show. But the only stipulation is you got to come over to our studios. You got to do it on a Windows or a Mac based uh, thing that we have set up for you. We're going to give you a MacBook and you, you have to use that. I turn that gig down so fast it would make head rolls. Because, and I said this on day one of this program, it is baked, I believe it's so strongly, it's baked into the opening of every single episode we've ever done. I am not a broadcaster, I am not a business owner, I am not a system administrator, I am a Linux community member. And I'm a Linux user that runs, happens to run a small business, that happens to be an IT administrator, and I happen to do a little radio show about how I make a lot more money than a lot of other people without compromising my principles. This entire studio, from day one, has run Linux. And, I, and I've been hearing for years, well, Linux isn't for ready for media production. You, you, you can't do that on Linux. Well, I'm doing it on Linux. It's worked out pretty well for, some, for me so far. And I'd say we have one of the best sounding shows on the Internet. But, and, then, and then there's going to be somebody out there that's saying, well, but no, I saw the interview where you talked about some of the equipment you used. And I Google the prices and that equipment's really expensive. That's why it sounds so good. Come back to Earth, man. I, the first few months of the show. I did the I did the first few months of the show on a $250 Mackie mixer with a used secondhand phone system that was so beat to crap and, and wouldn't work properly that I had to wire up a Raspberry Pi just to use the GPIO contact closures to hang up and answer the phones. This show doesn't sound drastically better today than it did on episode one. We just have more flexibility today to bring more guests on the air simultaneously, the ability for me to do shows remotely. I can do a perfectly high-quality show completely software based on Linux if I wanted to. It just doesn't have the flexibility that some of this more expensive equipment does. That's why I use it. It has nothing to do with, well, it's, 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 you know, well if you use Windows, it, no, no. And you know another thing too, uh, just because I'm, I'm, half, I'm this far into this anyway, it, the, Linux, this whole Linux is a tool, not a religion, is such a cop-out. It's, it's like it's the biggest joke in the Linux world. And that logic does not apply like anywhere else in life, except we apply it to our computers for some reason. Nobody goes into a restaurant and says, well, I hate the food here, but it's a tool. I just need nutrients. So I'll eat there even because personal preference, that doesn't come into play here. And, you know, and like if you take your house, for example, if tomorrow somebody made houses and the electrical panels were all locked shut, the air conditioning and heating controls, they were all locked up and only the builder could modify those things. And every piece of furniture that you wanted to put into your house had to be like approved by the home builder for permission before you were able to purchase it. And you weren't allowed to change the layout or the interior of the home. Nobody would buy that house. And yet people buy iPhones where the app store, the only apps that are in the app store are authorized by Apple and people still buy MacBooks where you can't easily swap out the operating system or change you know, various components within the operating system. You're just locked in. But if you point that out, if you say, hey, you know what? All computers have issues. So instead of paying $5,000 for that new iMac Pro you know, or eggshell walking around Windows 10 so it doesn't crash or reboot on you, why don't, why don't you hire a Linux consulting company for a fraction of that cost? And we will show you how you can have production-ready Linux systems that are fully supported by us. And if you ever run into a problem, no worries, boss. We got you covered because, hey, this is what we do for a living. Everyone here uses Linux as a function of their employment contract, they have to be running some form of, of Linux. If you say any of that, well, know it, you're treating Linux as a religion. <sighs> you know what I give up? You're right. Linux is a religion, and I'm the freaking Pope! 1-855-450-NOAH-855-450-6624. The email live at asknoahshow.com. Let's get this thing back on the road. Jeez, I drug this show off the, uh, off the rail so fast. Uh, let's go to the mumble room. Hey, guys, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Oh, hey there. How's it going? Hey, I heard, uh, let's see here, what was it? Was it Hello. Dar? Were you the first one to ping me? Yeah. Hey, what's up? So I think, I, I think when you were, uh, I think very interesting when you were talking about philosophy and picking um, your, the advice from, but I also when making your decisions. And often disappointments with Linux comes with exactly not picking based on philosoph philosophical reasons as well. Sure. So when I pick my distro, I look at a distro that aims towards the same goals in the future. And even if it's not quite there, I know they're, they're not going to disappoint me because that's the direction. Right. And oftentimes people just get what's fancy right now, but not what's going 
going towards what they want and then they get disappointed that it didn't quite work. Sure. And just right now in IRC, we were having a conversation that essentially it boils down to talking about how to use the finance system um, or software. To handle software to handle your finances essentially, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and QuickBooks was the example. And I said, look, there and there's other alternatives. And the person then goes to say that I could just pay for the software that just works instead of yeah, but it doesn't. You know, but paying for here's, the here's, here's the thing, though, man. That, again, this is a cop out. This is a fallacy that does not exist. Because here's the thing, that's, QuickBooks. Because here's, here's 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 the thing. QuickBooks does not just work. Everyone says that. The rea- what they mean by that is QuickBooks works, and the things that don't work. QuickBooks, I know how to mitigate so that the end of the the end of the day it just works. The reality is, System seventy six, even though they don't advertise it, has had one of the best finance softwares out there, and they have had it for years. And we switched from QuickBooks to to uh, to. I don't want to talk about it because I don't think they officially support it anymore, or like they're actively selling it. But if that ever changes, System seventy six, please reach out to me, and I'll be the biggest advocate for it ever. But we switched to it, and I should get my accountant in here, who, by the way, doesn't run Linux, doesn't care about Linux, couldn't couldn't care less about Linux. She 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 just runs an accounting firm, like she doesn't care. And she has told me numerous times how much easier it is to run Beans Books than it was in QuickBooks. How much faster it is to get the reports. How much easier it is to get data in and out of it. Everything is by you know that's to. to quote the guy in the chat room, in order of magnitude, easier. And do you know why nobody knows about it? Do you know why nobody uses it? Because nobody even wants to have the conversation. Everyone wants to say, well, QuickBooks is the, QuickBooks is the thing. Did you know that the, uh, that the government literally makes tools for auditors to come in when they audit your business to go through QuickBooks? Like they can just upload your QuickBooks file and they have like special tools that can grip through that. So and now it, you pay for QuickBooks twice through your taxpayer money well, and when you buy it. And you're also helping the government find ways that you can pay them more money. You're making their job easy like the the art it, it drives me so nuts and i and i'll be the first to admit my, my feathers are a little ruffled about this because i because i i blew a day really a day and a half trying to solve something from some poser who has who doesn't use linux and then wants to and then wants to come here and, and tell me how to do my job it, it's super frustrating but but the thing is, part of it is none of us are vocal about it. None of us call people out and say that guy does not that guy should not be talking about that thing because he's not actually using that thing. He's not eating his dog food. We don't really want to hear what that guy has to say. There is very little there is very little, you know, I guess, emphasis put on people who are actually in the trenches who really know what they're talking about, who do this stuff day in, day out. And and, and that as as an outsider that is really frustrating when you start looking at it and going, wait a minute, why am I listening to this guy? He doesn't even know what he's talking about. Uh, and so that was an, un- it was an unintended rant. I really didn't intend to take it quite that far. I was just going to make a, a comment about we were having a conversation about that earlier. And, and, and I was talking about Chris about even earlier in the day about this, too. And, you know, he's he's on the same page with me. Just it's just very frustrating to people that they, they, they what it is, I think, for a lot of us that are in the, this space. I think what we're frustrated by is the people that look at Linux and people who want to consume Linux media as a rather untouched portion of the media. Like, there's plenty of people making videos about Windows. There's plenty of people making videos about Mac. Plenty of people making videos about Linux servers. Nobody is really touching Linux on the desktop, not, at least not a whole lot of people. And so I think there's a lot of people that come in, they're, 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 they're in the media space, so they don't actually really care. what They talk about anything as long as you write them a paycheck. And they go, well, there's a space that's not really touched. I'm going to go ahead and just report on that. And then they, and then they, they, they spread FUD and they spread misinformation and they report incorrect things and they publish incorrect guides that don't work because they've never actually used the thing they're talking about. And and then those are the people, for whatever reason, that seem to rise to the top of media prominence. And and then as and then as somebody who lives, eats and breathes this stuff, like, you know, the guy called in about an audio interface That's the first call of the hour. Right. We had an audio interface that screwed up in this very studio uh, like a month ago, maybe. And, uh, or maybe it was, it was a couple weeks ago anyway. And one of the things that happened is when that happened was I looked into it and I found out there was a sampling rate issue and I found out where the config file was and that it tries to guess what the sampling rate is and you can statically set that. And as soon as I did that, boom, no more audio problems, no more octave going up, no more octave going down. And people run into that all the time. And Skype has this issue where it tries to mat- mandatorily set the the uh, the uh, sample rate when you first open it up. And so if you're using two different programs, 
programs that 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 want to call a different sample rate and the the sample rate is set by something other than what the audio interface actually is and Skype opens up all of a sudden the octave jumps up a couple octaves and it sounds ridiculous and but but and the reason I know that and the reason I know how to fix that is because it bit my show I lost a whole episode over it and again not whining about it not complaining about it just saying I use the stuff and so I know where the problem is again one eight five five. Four five zero Noah eight five five four five zero six six two four. The email live at asknoahshow.com. Did we have another? Was there another caller here? I thought I saw somebody else. If there was somebody else that was here, I, I glanced up and then uh, I went back to mumble and, and came back and he was gone. If there was, uh, was it maybe Ben? If if there's somebody out there, if you call back in, we'll we'll definitely take your call. Was that was that it, uh, Daredevilin, or do you have more? No, that 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 was it, and it's one of the things that I personally find frustrating, and I actually make. I, I, there's times that I build proprietary software. When people ask me that it's proprietary, they just pay more for that because I prefer to receive less and have freedom than yeah. to than to do that. But you know, some customers yeah. they will have one very specific occasion that that's not really the possibility that they have, yeah. and they want security through obscurity. They have mm-hmm. to pay for it, and I think it's just interesting to see that too often times people are willing to put the money when it's about getting a piece of software that they can't do anything about it. Yeah. And they're not okay with waiting. Like, if you want to change in any piece of proprietary software, what is the iteration cycle? How how, how many months are you waiting for that feature? And how many months are you waiting for, for it to be patched? And you still don't see that it's more valuable to pay to, to change that free software piece you want. Yeah. Yeah, I think part of it is the decision is just made by people that that don't know any better. I mean, a lot of, a lot of the people that I talk to that make the decisions for the businesses are not they they're not technical people. A lot of them are are you know they're they're executive level people. Anyway, JJ to the four eight eight four. Hey man, how's it going? How's it going, Noah? Excellent. So uh, my question for tonight is uh, with regards to Mocha and your experience with it, and is it a viable alternative to uh, hard having to rewire your house in order to in having that high expense uh for for the time being i'm looking at it for like a smart tv or something nothing like a another computer or anything like that okay help me with this uh i i know very very little about mocha i the uh to tell me a little bit about what it is so basically what it is mocha is uh sending instead of having ethernet you're using the uh, coax to send uh internet over uh, sending internet over, over coax yeah, I mean, again, I don't know. I don't know a ton about it. I've heard other people talking about it. I've never played with it myself. However, you have to think about this: the other end. You know, if you look at how you get, most of us get internet through our houses through cable modems. And so, what they're doing is they're taking a CMTS, encoding internet, sending it across a piece of coax, and then essentially demodulating it with a with a cable modem on the other side. So, I would imagine this is no different, right? Eh, not sure. I, as far as I'm aware, from what I've researched, it appears to be. Um, I think you have to get like a filter and then two other uh, devices where you have to, de- like you said, de- uh, de- put in, plug in the uh, co- coax from the end and then plug it into a actual uh, converter from the coax to Ethernet. And mm-hmm. I, I want to see it as an option instead of having to like rewire everything. Sure. I was just doing some research here right on the air because that's, that's of course, the hallmark of a, of a good radio host. Um, so, yeah, it's basically – so Mocha is, is apparently just a standard for Ethernet over uh, over coax, which is actually different than the Mocha project I was – I've heard of because the Mocha project I heard of software thing on, on GitHub. But, but yeah, uh, is there – you know, here's the thing. Uh, I don't have a problem with it if that's something you think would be beneficial, but I have to ask – RG6 is expensive compared to RG, or to compared to Cat5 or Cat6. Why in the world would you want to send it over coax rather than rather than uh, pulling some Cat5 or Cat6? Eh, like uh, I would say, since we already have uh, coax in our house, due to like, uh, and we don't use it for cable television, so I'm just like saying, thinking. And plus, it is just an option that I'm looking at. It's I'm still open to other ideas. Yeah, I'll give you a couple of ideas. So first of all, one thing is coax, unless it's a unless 
unless they it was put in at the time that the house was built is usually not stapled inside of the walls they usually fish it and so numerous times i've gone to a piece a coax in a house and tugged on it a little bit you can tell it's not stapled to the wall and you can just electrical tape the bejesus out of the thing uh you know onto a, a cat 5 cable and then you can just go down the, the basement and pull on the uh, coax and you can pull where coax once was cat five will then be the other thing you can do if you don't have that option let's say it is stapled into the wall <clears throat> if you got an open basement you can go where you can cut a little section out of the wall and drill down into the basement and feed coax up if your basement is finished you can go the other way you can snake up into the wall into the attic and uh, and then and then uh, what you can do is either you can have a, a, a you know like a switch up there that sometimes gets kind of hot so it's not always preferred. But the other thing you can do is then once you're at the attic you can you can go find a, a a single wall that goes all the way down to the basement in like a laundry room or an electrical room and you can just uh, you can just unzip the uh, just a small okay, little you that's know that's a good idea maybe four inch piece Keep of the my sh- eyes out for everything. Yeah, you can just you can unzip like maybe a four inch piece of the sheetrock from the top to the bottom, and uh, or, or you don't even necessarily need to do that. You could actually just cut out like you know maybe a four inch by four inch square, and uh, and then that gives you enough room to to feel the wire, pull it down, go to the bottom of the wall, cut out another four inch square, and then just tape tape around that and, and patch it back up. But uh, but yeah, there's there, I, I mean it all depends on on what you want to do. You know the the other side to this is do you know how many homes we don't worry about doing wired ethernet in anymore i mean a lot of the stuff we just do wireless i mean if you have ac for most home use it's fine i, I would i probably wouldn't do that inside of an office building i certainly wouldn't do that inside of like a, a, a corporate network anything like that i still don't really trust wireless and every time somebody comes out and says yep see we've gone a whole couple of years without some big wi-fi bug then a big wi-fi bug comes out and then we realize it wasn't secure so there's some ideas for you again phone lines 1-855-450-6624 the email live at asknoahshow.com and we are in the mumble room apparently live or it's uh what is it mumble.jupiter call it your mumble.jupiterbroadcasting.org mumble.jupiterbroadcasting.com one of those two uh yeah yeah okay so uh so anyway so yeah so uh i uh, anyway, that's my that's my rant on uh, on on people in the Linux community. Pay attention to the tech broadcasters that you listen to. Pay attention to their personal habits. Pay attention to the hardware they're using on a daily basis because that will give you a pretty good in- indication on what kind of authority they are on the uh, on Linux. <clears throat> ZDNet headline: Intel says stop firmware patching until further notice. Intel is recommending that people stop pushing its current firmware. Uh, updates designed to address the meltdown and Spectre vulnerabilities and hold tight for further information until later this week. We recommend that OEMs, cloud service providers, system manufacturers, software vendors, and end users stop deployment on current versions as they may introduce higher than expected reboots and other unpredictable system behavior. Intel Data Center Group General Manager Naveen Shinoi said in a, in a security note, Shinoi said Intel has released updated firmware with its partners for testing at weekend at the weekend and asked them to test harder. We ask that the industry partners focus on testing early versions of the updated solution so that we can accelerate its release, Shinoi wrote. When Intel admitted that the crashes were also hitting KB Lake and Skylake processors, its advice was to keep deploying the patches. Um. And then we got another article too that talks about Red Hat. We're going to get to that in just a second because Red Hat has started to catch some of the uh, the brunt of some of this. But I think w- where we are at is so let's let's hit a couple of things right off the bat. All of you people that said when we first announced this, uh, well, it's not such a big deal. Clearly, it's a big deal and continues to be a big deal and is getting bigger because now we find out that we can't even really actually patch this stuff yet, and we're still working trying to figure out on how to do that. Additionally, Linus had some choice words to say. We're going to get to that, too, in a second. Again, from datacenterknowledge.com, headline Red Hat, we didn't pull the CPU microcode update to pass the buck. The open source software vendor says it pulled the update meant to address some of the recent discovered CPU design flaws because it was faulty, not because it wanted to shift responsibility to hardware vendors. Red Hat got in a bit of a PR snafu this week when it pulled when it pulled from its distribution, a CPU microcode update meant to address the Spectre vulnerability uh, variant 2. The register, the news tech site, 
that broke the story about meltdown inspector vulnerabilities in processors earlier in the month characterized the move as Red Hat washing its hands of the responsibility to provide customers with firmware patches to address the vulnerability by instructing them to get firmware updates from the hardware vendors instead. Now, let me stop right there before I continue on to the article. Let's just let's think about this for a second. Red Hat's entire business model from top to bottom is providing support for enterprises that use Linux. So why would Red Hat intentionally try to pass the buck off on the one thing that they need to make money? If it wasn't for if it wasn't for the ability for them to pass off patches from take patches from things like Intel and make sure that people are paying them for Red Hat Enterprise supported edition and getting those patches in where is Red Hat's business model? How would they make any money if they're just if they just if if everyone could get the patches right from Intel and that was a that that's a thing that just continued to happen if that was a theme that just continued that everyone could just get the information get the patches get the code somewhere else well then where is the necessity for Red Hat why would how would they be able to justify charging the amount of money that they charge for a supported distribution so. Logically, it doesn't even make any sense. The article continues to go on. It says, it's true that Red Hat distributed microcode to address variant two of the Spectra vulnerability to its customers and then removed it after Intel announced that some customers were experiencing unwanted system reboots after applying the firmware update that included Spectra mitigations. But Red Hat isn't actually involved in writing the firmware updates. It passes the microcode created by chip makers to its users as a customer convenience. Translation, Red Hat didn't write an update put the code in and then have people update it and then pulled it back and said, nanana boo boo, go figure it out from Intel. Intel wrote this code sloppily. I might add gave it to red hat, red hat sent it out to a bunch of their customers. It started destroying machines in one way, form or another. And then they pulled it back out and said, listen, you know what? If you're interested in it, Intel is currently working on it and they started it and then they stopped it with the AMD thing and then they started it back up and now they've stopped it again. You know what? Just go to Intel, get it from them. You want to apply it, go ahead and apply it. Seems like a highly logical move to me and one that anyone that's paying for enterprise support would appreciate. So I'm not I don't don't really understand how how it's a PR kerfluffle for for Red Hat. Seems kind of ridiculous to me. 1-855-450-NOAH-855-450-6624. The email live at asknoahshow.com. Dar, did you have something to add about the uh, Wi-Fi thing? So essentially what most people are forgetting is that uh, when when it comes down to these Intel patches, mm-hmm. Red Hat and the other companies are the ones that have the customer base and have the direct reporting of their customers of the problems. Mm-hmm. Intel can actually only develop solutions as they grow uh, towards the actual fix. So you know when you're when you're when you're developing something and you test it in your lab, it works. They release it. Intel is confident that it works. Only then the specific scenarios that Red Hat experiences actually can fix or tell Intel, hey, here's a more comprehensive report of what you've done, and it doesn't quite work yet. You need to fix it. Okay. Otherwise, yeah. no, how would sense. Intel know? Intel doesn't talk with customers. You right. buy the hardware and you go home, and if it doesn't and, work, you buy MD next well, time. And here's, the, yeah. <laughs> and here's the other thing, too, <clears throat> to a large degree. A lot of customers don't want to talk to Intel unless they directly or, you know, have to. So in some ways... Red Hat passing them off is to move people and say, here is the appropriate place to get this information. Here's the appropriate place to get these patches. You're probably not usually familiar with this. I, I don't know. It just it, it seems very frustrating. We also we'll have a link in the show notes to you from uh, Linus from the mailing list, the Linux kernel mailing list. Um, and what's you know, and what's frustrating about that is when Linus goes on the record to try to point some things out and just call people out. Uh, then he is chastised for it. And he's kind of this bombastic figure that everyone kind of likes to hate uh, for some reason. And it's, 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 it, it's kind of frustrating. Um, but we're, we at the Ask Noah show, we're going to continue to follow this. We're going to continue to follow Spectro, continue to follow Meltdown. Obviously, we are going to release a short video uh, with an explanation for more on an executive level. The problem is the stuff keeps changing. Every time we get partway through making a video, and all of a sudden some of that stuff is irrelevant. So right now, there is no there is no go-to answer. We don't even really have an answer. We know there's a problem, but I can't really tell you, go ahead and update, because depending on the hour and the time of the week, there may be an update available. <laughs> there may not be. Uh, 
and uh, and and we don't even know for sure what the what the future of all of this is going to be. And I still want to find out an answer. I know it's difficult and nobody really knows this, but I would really like to know when are we going to have an answer on when this problem isn't just going to be mitigated? When is it going to actually be fixed? What generation of Intel processor is going to come out and is going to have this completely fixed like this isn't even going to be a problem anymore and i don't have an answer to that and the best answer i have gotten from somebody who is works in the industry the best they were able to tell me is it will be another two or three generations of intel processors before this problem is actually fixed again phone lines 1-855-450-NOAH 855-450-6624 the email live at asknoahshow.com did you guys know that we're doing a distro elimination challenge that's right guys and this is a cool experience, and I have I just got to see the the snippets of the website that we are putting together for the uh, Distro Elimination Challenge, and it is cool. I think this is going to be a really great resource for the Linux community, and you guys are helping build it by going to asknoahshow.com slash elimination every single week to vote on your favorite Linux distro now. <clears throat> When I say your favorite Linux distro, it doesn't have to be the one that you would choose to use. It just has to be the one that you would use over the second one. So, for example, I am a uh, right now I have Ubuntu on my laptop, but I run Fedora at home. Now, if I could only pick one distribution, it would be Fedora. But if my choices were between um, Ubuntu and let's say uh, I don't who can I pick on OpenSUSE, I would pick Ubuntu because I would rather use open or I'd rather use Ubuntu than OpenSUSE. And so of those two, my vote would be for Ubuntu. But if I had my choice of Fedora or Ubuntu, it would very much be Fedora. If my choice was between Fedora and OpenSUSE, it would very much be Fedora. So once there's once we have all of the winners from round one of the Linux Elimination Challenge, then round two, we'll be taking all those winners and pitting them together. So you'll have a chance, assuming your favorite distro didn't get washed out, we'll have a chance to vote on all of them. Now, last week, we pitted Arch and Debian against each other this week i'm happy to announce the winner is debian unsurprisingly 50.2 percent of the votes went to debian whereas 49.8 percent of the votes went to art so it won by a very very slim margin uh, but it did win and so unfortunately well fortunately depending on how you look at it debian continues on arch goes by the wayside um and uh so this week uh, oh, I don't have. Oh, no, I don't have it open. That's terrible. Uh, I got to open up uh, my Linux elimination pro pro program here. OK, here we go. So this week we are voting on Gentoo and elementary OS. Now, Gentoo is kind of the geeks geek of Linux. If you want to learn about Linux, you install either. Well, a lot of people install Arch. A lot of people install Slackware or people install Gentoo because you really will learn the in and outs of Linux. If you're using Gentoo and of course, elementary OS, good friends of the show. Uh, we've talked to Daniel many times. Um, and uh, basically what elementary OS is, is one of the most polished Linux distros out there based on Ubuntu. <clears throat> the idea being, you know, he has rounded corners. So when you go and open up elementary OS, like it's all of the little things that most people don't think of. Those guys think of it and they fix it. And so they built the basically the Linux distro for the common folk, the people that just want to for all of you people that were sitting back 15 minutes ago when I was on my uh, when I was on my little tirade uh, for all of you that were sitting back going, I just want something that works. I just want to install something and have something that works. Elementary OS guys. That's that's what those guys are doing. Uh, and if you want more choice, if you want more flexibility, if you think you have a better idea of how to get a perfect Linux experience. Then check out Gentoo. I'm curious, Mumble Guys, since you guys are still here and you guys seem to be rather active today, what's your thoughts on Gentoo versus Elementary OS? This is simple. Gentoo is your own system. You build it, you design it, it's mm -hmm. perfect fit. Mm -hmm. It's going to a. What is the word? Uh, the man that makes your suits? Taylor. Uh, uh, no, he's talking yeah, about your tailor. Bespoke. It's going to a tailor. Oh, okay. It's, it's it's going to a tailor, right? You you have it perfectly made for you, yeah, and that's great. Matches. So well, elementary 
it, it is when you buy that outfit, you know, just in a store, you pick your size and you dress it. If it looks great, you continue using it. And if it doesn't, you have to go to another store. Yeah, it makes sense. I could see that. I, uh, I've used them both. I, I, I've, I've always, the thing is like, and this is one of those things where I, I'm, 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 I'm not even going to talk about it because I, I don't have any real plans to do it. So, but, uh, Gen 2 or elementary OS, again, you can vote asknoah.com slash, uh, asknoahshow.com slash elimination. This week, uh, on Thursday, I had a chance to sit down with my, uh, my good friend, Chris Curran from the podcast engineering school. And what Chris does is he teaches people how to podcast. So if you've ever wanted to host a podcast, if you've ever wanted to start a podcast, or maybe you're a business and you don't actually have time to do a podcast. And so you want somebody to take care of all the nitty gritty details. Like you just want to sit down and talk into a microphone and then have that content produced sent out to all the people edited uh and have it sound really really good chris curran is the guy he's the guy that does that and his his podcast is teaching other people how to do that um and chris curran well he reached out to me he said you know what i heard you have a broadcast uh grade quality studio i heard that you uh do a show about linux and that the entire studio runs linux and i think that's really interesting and would you come on the show and share that with me and so we sit down and uh we talk to uh, Chris Curran and explained exactly how we're making this show here in the studio. And so if you're interested in the type of equipment we use, how we're doing it, our process, all of that stuff, uh, check out that episode of the podcast engineering school. And of course we'll have a link for you in the show notes. And again, I, I think I actually kind of made a reference to that earlier. It is not the only way to make a podcast on Linux. You can do it for a far less money than, 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 than I've done it for in here. But the the problem is, I have a full-time business that I have to run, and that means that anytime I'm not in the studio, like tonight, I'm not sitting in front of the board tonight, I can't uh, just reach over, <laughs> in fact, cause a little bit of a kerfuffle at the beginning of the episode, uh, but I can't just reach over and turn the mobile room on. I got to count on somebody else to do that, and if it's not there, I have no way of knowing because I can't see it, um, and part of that is I need to be able to remotely control a lot of that stuff, so if I had, because I, I do have remote control over that computer, I could remote in and turn on that particular mixer channel and, and stuff like that. Uh, that's all possible to do uh, with the new system. And it wouldn't be, it's just, you can't do that on an analog board. And so we explained all of that and, and went through the details. So if that's something that's interesting to you, we'll make sure to have a link for you in the show notes about that. Also, if you guys, did you know that this show is available as a downloadable podcast? If you want to subscribe to the feed or download the latest episode, visit podcast.asknoahshow.com. And over the next couple of weeks, we are going to continue to make put an emphasis on mobile playback. We pulled statistics from where you guys are listening to the show, and it's not on Windows, and it's not on Mac OS, and unfortunately, it's not on Linux. It is on Android and iOS. And as long as the, the feature set works on both Android and iOS, I'm more than happy to spend a little bit of extra time making that uh making that a possibility i also know that people want more resources for the show so i have heard people you know like one of the things that i'm sure has frustrated there's going to be a lot of people out there that are going to scream at their speakers yes that's why that has happened to me I'll, ha I'll be on a call i'm talking to somebody and i say no problem and i'll have a link for you in the show notes and then no link ever appears and people are are you know they say well yeah you said you're gonna have a link here's i let you in a dirty little secret I don't have I'm not the one that actually publishes the episode that's that's handled by our editor. So I have no way of going back into the show notes and saying, oh, I forgot to add this thing. Let me add it now. If it's not in the notes by the time we go on to the air or if I don't remember to put it in within like 10 minutes afterwards, it just isn't getting put in the show notes that week. And I can follow up the next the week after, but that's not a great system. And so one of the things that our hosting provider lets us do is. They have this little applet and I can click on a button and anytime I click on that button, the page that I'm on automatically gets inserted. It won't go into the show notes, but it will go into your podcast player if you're watching or if you're uh, if you're view, if you're listening to the show on a mobile uh, on a mobile app like Pocket Casts. And so when you're listening to the app, you can swipe right and it will have a list of all of these links that I collect through the week. And of course, I'm going to try to copy as many of those as I can into the actual show notes that we that are published on the site. But but for those that don't make it in there, I can 100% sure guarantee you because I do have an ability to go back and add those at any point in time. I can add those to it. I can say I can click. I could click on one right now and add it back to episode one if I wanted to. I can do that. Um, and so that's pretty cool. And so we're going to start taking advantage of that. 
We're also looking at different ways that we can give you more content outside of the show. And so we're, we're really, we're concentrating on three different things right now. And I'm interested to hear your vote. So if you have a strong preference on this, if you'd like to see more video, more short video content that's tailored towards YouTube, or if you'd be interested in having a blog post written about every one of the episodes that has additional details, details about uh, the guests that were on the show, more links to them, biography, stuff like that. Uh, we could do that. Or the other thing we're considering is a newsletter where at the end of the show, we send out a newsletter that details everything we talked about in the show, has some of the calls, has little clips uh, transcribed in text form. So you can kind of get a, a brief overview of what we talked about on the show, what happened on the show as a reference point. And, um, you know, there's another show that I listen to. The guy does the same thing. He, he That's kind of where I got the idea. I, well, actually, I I flat out stole it is really what happened. But um, he, he does that. And uh, what I do is I just set up Thunderbird to automatically have a folder for all of those uh, for that newsletter that comes out. And I don't read it every single time, but there, more than once I've been like, oh, yeah, I heard that on the show. Uh, I wonder where that and I'll go back to my folder and say, well, I know it was about this time and I'll search for a keyword. Oh, yeah, there it is. And then I can find the clips and stuff that he uses for the show or the, the, the links and, and articles and stuff that he references. So if any of that is useful to you guys, again, let me know. com slash better. Mumble Room, thanks again for joining me. I really appreciate you guys being here. No problem. You're welcome. Phones were a little light today. We had only, you know, just had a couple of calls. So I, you know, it's, it's kind of nice that the, the problem is uh, anytime I'm not in the studio, it's difficult for me to get the, the mumble room up and going. And so, uh, but uh, thankfully I've got nice, good, dedicated people that can, that can take care of that for me. So I was, I was actually, Hey citizen, are you here? Hey, Hey, how's it going? Going pretty good. Uh, yeah. So you were, you're the reason that mumble is here tonight because you ping me an IRC and then, and then you're like, Oh man. And I'm like, okay, okay. I'll send a message. We'll figure out a way. Well, you made it. Uh, you delivered on your promise, and uh, I think that's pretty cool. Now, like I said, when it comes to Linux, I bend over backwards. What can I say? So, are you? Are, you guys are all on Linux, right? Yes, of course. <laughs> what do you expect, Noah? Exactly. Hey guys, be fair. You, yeah, I don't even up? call it Linux. I just say that I'm on Debian because yeah, that allows go. Debian to change the kernel if need be. But not necessarily. Right. Oh, screw the alternate oh, kernels. Linux are. is oh, the my best. Gosh, here we go. Here we go. This is this is this is why we don't always have the mumble room because then we divulge <laughs> into this kind of stuff. Next, they're going to be saying I didn't say GNU slash Linux. Oh, that's okay. No, I don't no nobody here cares far. about that. I just think. <laughs> it, look, I don't go that far. I think. I think actually, one of the biggest issues we still face today is that we are still picking. The, the the expression Linux distribution that actually screws developers. If yeah. a developer knows that uh, he's building for Ubuntu and thinks of developing for Ubuntu and develops for Ubuntu, and then Ubuntu users use their software and it works, they will have a great experience. But once they think, oh, that's a Linux distro, I'm gonna go to Arch and this is gonna work, and yeah. it doesn't work, and they they feel f- basically frustrated, right? So that's as, the sad part. as somebody who actually is. A Linux distribution developer, as Noah may know if he can recognize my voice, mm-hmm. I, um, uh, I am very much involved in Linux distribution development. Um, one of the things I think that a lot of people miss when they mention the term Linux distro or Linux distribution is that fundamentally that's all about making certain choices about how the thing is going to be put together. A distribution, by its very nature, is opinionated. Even the ones that a lot of people consider not opinionated, like Gen 2. It has a very strong opinion of how you assemble the system. Even when you set the use flags and things like that, that's an opinion on how you configure and build. Sure. So it just goes a little bit further with the binary distributions, such as Fedora, OpenSUSE, and and, uh, Debian, and it's other, you know, you can keep going down that line. The thing is... When they make those choices and put together that system, they are effectively declaring a platform. And mm-hmm. in that, in some cases, this involves even binary incompatibilities. For example, Debian has a thing where they, you know, in the early days when they were not really, when they didn't really know how they're supposed to do stuff yet, everybody was kind of learning it. They messed up the PCRE library, so now it has the wrong sure. ABI signature from every other distribution, mm-hmm. and they never bothered to fix it. So now. We're stuck like this until somebody decides that yes, this is a thing that we should actually fix. Yeah, absolutely. You know, for- uh, and I, I've said that for I've said that for a long time. I said, hey, you know what? 
Every single distribution is really its own operating system. We need to make that distinction. Hey, guys, did you, like I said, this is, this is available as a downloadable podcast, podcast.asknoahshow.com. While you're on the Ask Noah dashboard, help us improve the show. Let us know if you have an idea of how to improve it, asknoahshow.com slash better. The Ask Noah Show continues next Tuesday at 6 p.m. Central. A huge thanks to Ben, our producer, Sarah, our call screener, and Rakai, our video editor, Big thanks to Vox Telsis for providing our new phone system so I don't have to use a Raspberry Pi with contact closures. Why don't you have to harm reduction? Coming up next on Logos Radio, KEQQ 88.3 LPFM, Grand Forks.